I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to a couple of openings. Uh, let's turn to, to Psalm 119, Matthew 11, and Mark 4. Psalm 119, Matthew 11, and Mark chapter 4. We've been uh, teaching on a series uh, for a number of weeks uh, that we've uh, entitled Overcoming Offenses. And I want to talk to you some, about something this morning, a, a part of this this morning that... Um, well, uh, let me say it this way. It seems to me that the biggest reason that people remain in offenses is because they don't know they're offended. The um, uh, the devil, obviously, is a deceiver. The Bible, one of the names the Bible gives him is a deceiver. And it's an, it's an amazing thing to me how many people don't realize they're offended. They may, they may call it other things. They may say, well, I've been hurt. But somehow or another, they don't recognize that as an offense. And they look at that hurt as being the result of what somebody else did to them and don't realize that the devil uses that offense and their failure to deal with that offense to hold them in bondage. And so we, we want to approach this thing, and we have been trying to approach this thing from a lot of different angles. Uh, this morning we want to come up the mountain a little different way, take a different path up the, up the same mountain that we've been going around. But I want to talk to you specifically about uh, the relationship of uh, offenses or the, the contrast, I guess, would be a better way to say it, between offenses and peace. Notice in uh, Psalm 119, verse 165, the Holy Ghost says to us, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Notice the relationship between peace and the, and the law of God, the word of God, and how that is the, and, and honestly, folks, it is the only defense against being offended. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now, you may be sitting there saying, well, yeah, but I know I've been offended, and I love the word. Well, what does that mean? That means you're not being a doer of it. Loving the law of God, loving the word of God doesn't mean you just like it. It doesn't mean that you're just willing to hear it. It doesn't even mean you've got your closet stacked with tapes and CDs and and whatever else, what other medium there is to hear the word of God. It doesn't say great peace comes from from, uh, having a lot of tapes. It says great peace comes from loving the law. That means being a doer thereof. You know, one of the things that um, um, Paul said to Timothy, wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, I believe it is, he talks about one of the, the conditions of the end times. And he talks about how people will be lovers of themselves and, and there will be um, um, uh, a condition where people are, are trying to draw themselves teachers, having itching ears. In other words, they want to uh, hear from the teacher that says what they want to hear. And uh, and it goes further, and it talks about a group of people that are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Ever learning and never come to, able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now think about what that means. Ever learning, they're learning. But never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, we could put a lot of word people in that category because they're always learning. They're always looking for something new. They're always listening to tapes. They're always doing whatever it is they can do to hear more and more of the word. But not everybody that hears is going to grow in the knowledge of the truth. Not everybody is ever going to, going to come to the place where it becomes real to them. What makes the difference? Easy. James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. See, you can hear the word all, all the rest of your life. And it, unless you put it in practice, unless you become a doer of the word, it's not going to do you any good. So in other words, if we apply those things, those principles to this verse of Scripture, that means the only way peace is going to be yours is to be a doer of the word. But you can be a doer of the word to such a degree that nothing offends you. 
Well, that's the, that would be the love of God in action then, wouldn't it? Because the Bible says love of God is not easily offended. So we can put those scriptures together too then, can't we? We can say that being a doer of the word will cause you to be somebody that lives the love of God in your life. And the result is nothing can offend you. Now, folks, what I want to do, at least one of the things I want to do this morning, is I want to build in you um, the idea. I'd like for it to be more than an idea, but let's just start with that. I want to build in you the idea that you can live the rest of your life without ever being offended again. That's what this is saying. And I want to stick with it long enough to where you understand that the Bible says it's possible. Now, not everybody's going to attain that. I get that. I understand. Not everybody's going to, going to, for some people, it's not important. For some people, they don't want to turn loose of their offense. And so they're thinking, well, I want to keep it the way it is. Okay. I get it. Have it your way. But it's possible. There is the potential for you to live the rest of your life and never be offended again. Now, I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. I'm tired of the same people hurting me the same way over and over and over again. And, you know, really, honestly, I don't get hurt by people that are on the outside. I don't get hurt by people that, that are, you know, the folks that, that I don't know that write in letters and stuff like that. I saw you on TV and you said this and you're wrong and you're uh, whatever. And I don't get a lot of that mail. A little bit's enough. But, um, you know, I don't get a lot of that. But it, it, you do from time to time. There'll be certain things that'll come along and, and, uh, and that kind of stuff. That doesn't bother me a lick. Not a bit. As far as people on the outside and people that I know that are going to be against what I'm teaching to be true and, and, and the knowledge of the truth and stuff like that, I've got the thickest skin in the world. I couldn't care less about that kind of stuff. Matter of fact, that's just kind of like saying sick them to a dog for me. I'll hammer down on it again next time. You know, it just doesn't bother me. But you know what does bother me? What bothers me are the people that are close to me. When they hurt me. That's what bothers me. And it's, and I look at it and I, and I compare the two situations. I think, now how is it that somebody could say something so mean, so hateful, so whatever on the outside and that doesn't affect me and somebody can do something that's so little and so minor and so nothing and that seems to offend me. Why? I've got to be honest with myself just like I want you to be honest with yourself. It's because I'm not being a doer of the word. Now a lot of times we're not doers of the word because we drop our guards with the people that are close to us. And we think, well, they love us and they're going to do good for us, or at least they should, because I'm so great. And, uh, and therefore, I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't have to be conscious of doing the word and, and, and standing guard and, and stuff like that in my personal life. Well, says who? Whoever gets a pass on that? Great peace have they that love thy law. In other words, great peace have they that are doers of thy law. And nothing shall offend them. Turn with me now over to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 tells us uh, of when um, John has been cast into prison. You remember the story how that Herod doesn't like John's preaching. John the Baptist doesn't like his preaching because he said that he did wrong with his brother's wife and that kind of stuff. And so um, as politicians do, you get rid of the people that are saying you did wrong. So it says in verse 2, Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, it says, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? 
Now wait just a minute. Isn't John the one that was baptizing in the Jordan River and Jesus came to him and he saw heaven open and the Holy Ghost descend on him in bodily shape and remain on him? And John said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John's the the uh, the Gospel of John tells us, and John the uh, Apostle John was one of John the Baptist's disciples, so he knew intimately of of these things. And he said that John the Baptist said that the only way that he would know who the Christ was, he knew what his ministry was. His ministry was to be the forerunner of the Messiah. But the only way that he'd know who the Messiah was was when he saw heaven open and the Holy Ghost come down. So he saw these things. He heard the voice. Everybody heard the voice from heaven. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, that should answer the question, shouldn't it? Well, why is he asking now, later on, a couple of years later in his ministry, why in the world is he sending disciples to John, or to Jesus, excuse me, why is he sending his disciples to Jesus saying, are you really the guy? The reason he sent them is after it says he heard the works that Jesus was doing. Well, what works? People are being healed. Blind eyes are being opened. People that were crippled are walking. All kinds of signs and wonders and miracles are taking place. When he heard these things, that's when he sent his disciples and said, Jesus, are you really the one? He ought to know better than this, shouldn't he? What happened? He got discouraged. He's in prison, and he handled prison just like so many of us handle prison. We think, this is not the way it's supposed to go at all. Maybe he didn't think that this was going to be the way his life would end. I've been surprised by some turns in life, haven't you? I've been surprised by some defeats that I thought should have been victories, haven't you? Well, what happens? That's the place where a lot of people will turn away and that's it for them. That's the place where a lot of people will get offended and they'll say, well, that this is no way am I going to follow God if this is how things are going to go. And that becomes the end point of their service to the Lord or following God's plan. John's right on the edge. He knows he's facing his own execution. He knows why he's in prison. He knows what's coming next. So he sends disciples. Jesus, are you the one? Notice how Jesus responds. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight. Now, if if we went over to Luke, we'd find out that Luke gives us a little bit more information about this. Because when the guys come and say, are you the one? The Bible says in the very same hour, Jesus opened blind eyes. He healed the lame caused the and healed the sick and, and cast out devils and stuff like that. He did it in that very hour. So what he's saying, go show them. He's saying, show them the things that you witnessed while you were here, not just things that you were told about. Go show John again those things which you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That's not a bad afternoon. But then notice what else he said. Now here's his message to John. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended at me. This word offended means entrapped. Now, what's happening? What's happening with John the Baptist in prison is the same thing that happens to you and me when we get in uncomfortable or difficult circumstances. The devil comes and he brings the thought that maybe it's not the way that you believed. Maybe this word that you were told was true, this this scripture that says healing belongs to you, maybe it's not like that after all. It's the thoughts that the enemy brings. It's the only way the devil can operate, folks. Every circumstance that the devil twists and turns and influences in your life is for one and only one reason, and that is to plant the thoughts in your mind that God's word is not true. 
It's the only road that he's got to travel. And that road, that thought that he brings to you that contradicts or is contrary to the word of God, to the truth of God's word, is the way that he ensnares each and every person. Whether you fall into the traps, up to you. But it's the way he lays the trap for us. And Jesus said, blessed is he, blessed is he. Here's the blessing of God. Blessed is he whosoever is not offended in me. In other words, he's saying the blessing comes from believing the truth of God's word, no matter what you might see, to the contrary, no matter what you might feel, to the contrary, no matter what you might think, that contradicts the truth of the word. Blessed is he that passes up every opportunity to be offended and sticks with the truth of the word. That's what he's saying. Those are my words, but it's the same thing that he's saying, isn't it? That's what it means. Blessed. Here's the blessing. The blessing of God is to refuse to be offended by anything that contradicts or is contrary to the truth of the word. That's where the blessing of God is. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 4. Jesus tells us the uh, the parable of the sower and the word. I'm going to read the parable and then just uh, talk about one of the parts of it. Uh, verse 2. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And the other fell on good ground. It did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty and some sixty and some a hundred. Now, Jesus is telling us, he explains to his disciples the meaning of this parable. And and actually, he says, uh, um, notice in verse 13, he's, here's his explanation. He said, know ye not this parable, and how then will ye know all parables? He's saying the truth of this parable, what he's trying to get across to them in this story, through this illustration, is the foundation, is the principle for everything else in the kingdom of God. Here's how it works, in other words. And then he explains the sower sows the word. Well, he mentions four different types of ground. The wayside is one type of person. The stony ground is another type of person. The thorny ground is another type of person. And the good ground is the fourth type of person. So he's talking about the good ground of your heart or the, the, the condition of your heart. And so he says some people, as soon as the word comes, the, the devil takes it away immediately. How does he do that? Folks, there's only one way the devil ever can work. Please understand this. There's only one way the devil ever can work, and that is to plant thoughts in your mind. Circumstances are designed, contrary circumstances, difficult circumstances, hard places in life that the devil is behind, that the devil influences, are designed for one and only one thing, and that is to plant wrong thoughts in your mind. The devil is not just trying to kill you instantly. If he had the power to do that and that was his purpose, he'd do it already. You'd be gone. He can't do that because the power of God is greater than his power. So what does he do? He tries to turn you from the word. He tries to distract you through the circumstances of life so that you think contrary to the word of God because if you think in line with God's word and be a doer of the word, the peace of God and the blessings of God are yours. And he doesn't want that. So he does everything that he can to try to rob you, and he robs you through one and only one means, and that is wrong thoughts. 
I get amused at some people that, that get into this stuff and talk about, well, we've got to pray and pull down strongholds. The only stronghold you're ever going to need to pull down are wrong thoughts in your mind. And it doesn't take a lot of prayer to do that. It takes the truth of the word, the knowledge of God's word to do that. But see, people are trying to do things all different ways than what the Bible says. Oh, let's pray. Let's get excited and pray. Let's have some big prayer meeting and say it's all done. Well, good luck with that. Because as soon as you finish praying, things are going to be just the same way they were as before as far as your thinking is concerned. Because unless you renew your mind to the word, you're going to think wrong thoughts. It's the default setting for the world. You've already learned how to think wrong thoughts. You've already learned how to think contrary to the word. If it's going to change, it's going to be because you change it. And it won't change otherwise. So these four different types of people, these four different conditions of heart, how does the devil steal the word away from the wayside? He brings the wrong thought. As soon as the word is preached, they think, that kind of person thinks, well, that can't be true. Healing can't be true. I knew too many Christians that are sick. And they dismiss it instantly. The devil's got them. The next type of ground, though, is what I want you to see. Notice it says in verse 16, and these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground. Notice it says likewise. Same word was sown, but not only is it likewise in the manner that the word was sown, it's likewise in the manner that the devil is operating. The devil was able to steal the word away immediately from the wayside type of person. Not so quickly from the stony ground type of person. These are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, they did hear it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So it means they they received some measure of faith regarding the truth that they heard, right? If For the word to be true, it's got to be consistent. So when they heard the word, there's a measure of faith that they start in. Who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. The word received means to take hold of. They take hold of it. They hear it. They say, wow, this is great news. Yeah, this is great. Let's take hold of that. Starts off good, doesn't it? But they have no root in themselves. The word root is the word moisture in the Greek. They have no moisture in themselves. He said in the speaking of the parable, it says he doesn't have any depth of earth. What it means is they don't continue to water the word of God. And so therefore the roots don't go down deep enough to hold them steady. Now, Paul talked about this right into Corinthians. He talked about the, the ministry of the word. He said, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So what's he saying? He's saying, I preached the word of God to you, and because you hadn't heard it before, that was planting the seed. He said, but Apollos watered the seed. His work was just as important as mine. He watered the seed. Well, what did Paul or what did Apollos water with? The same word that Paul preached when he planted He continued to tell them the same truth. He's not preaching some new message. He's preaching the same message to them. So the Bible calls the hearing and the hearing and the hearing and the hearing of the word watering the seed. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That means the first time you hear it, the seed is planted. Just like Jesus said. How do you water the seed? You keep hearing it. So what do we know about this stony type of ground? They stopped listening. They took hold of it. They received it. They said, this is great news. But they either through ignorance or through lack of diligence didn't put the time and the effort into continuing to hear the word because it's the continuation of hearing the word that causes faith to build more and more and more. You don't get it the first time you hear it. None of us do. 
How many of us could tell stories about, oh, we've listened to messages on the subject of faith forever, and all of a sudden we heard something that was like it was brand new, or we saw a scripture and part of it just came alive, and I've read that scripture hundreds of times before. That happens to us all the time. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing, not just hearing once, hearing and hearing continuously. So here where it says, and they had no root in themselves, verse 17, it means they didn't continue to water the seed. They didn't continue to hear the truth that they first heard preached. They had no root or moisture in themselves and so endure but for a time. Folks, if you don't keep yourself in the word, what you heard before will wear off. Why? Because you're hearing something else. And whatever you're hearing else, you're building faith in. See, faith is positive or negative. You can believe in the right things just as much as you can believe in the wrong things. But it's just as easy to believe the wrong things as it is to believe the truth of the word. Easier, maybe, because you're getting it from more sources. So he says, they have no root or moisture in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises, for the word's sake. Why does affliction, affliction means hard places, test trials and troubles. Why does affliction or why does persecution arise? For the word's sake. It's what we said before. The devil is trying to distract you from the truth of God's word. And he'll use whatever circumstance he can to get you off track. To get you from, to keep you from looking continuously at the truth of God's word. And when affliction and persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Here's the word ensnared. Immediately they are ensnared. Who snared them? The devil. With their cooperation. They cooperated by not watering the word that they first heard. Not watering the seed. But it's the devil's work to ensnare them. So what did he use? He used affliction, test trials and troubles. And he used persecution. He used people talking against them. And he used the circumstances of life to cause them to be offended. Now folks, everybody has afflictions and persecutions. It's not just this type of group, type of people that afflictions and persecutions come to. They come to everybody. The question is, how are you going to handle it? These folks allow it to ensnare them. They get offended. Maybe they say, well, I didn't expect it to be this hard. Well, when Pastor Mike was preaching, he didn't say it was going to be tough like this. Or they make it their feelings hurt because people talk against them and say, well, I don't know why people are against me. I'm just trying to love God. I'm just trying to serve God. Maybe it's their family. They say, you're not one of those faith people now, are you? Can't tell you how many people I've seen fall to that one. Well, it's just too hard. My family is just, my family is telling me that's a cult. It is. It's Jesus' cult. could be any number of things, but it's all designed for one insane purpose, and that is for you to be offended. Why? Because when you're offended, you cannot produce fruit. When you're offended, you can't produce the fruit of God's blessings in your life, whether they be healing, whether it be prosperity, whether it be any of the things that the Bible says belongs to you, the peace of God, etc. You can't produce fruit as far as the fruit of the Spirit is concerned when you're offended. It hinders and stifles fruit production. And the devil is all about you being robbed of God's blessings in your life. Turn with me over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. 
tells us, it's, in my opinion, one of the most important passages of Scripture throughout Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus starts telling the disciples, and uh, well, there's a multitude of people. He's just fed the 5,000. He starts telling the multitude about uh, who he is, that he came down from heaven, that he's the Messiah, and so forth. <clears throat> and the, the Jews, the religious leaders, they get all upset about this because they say, wait a minute, how can he come down from heaven? We know who his fa- parents are. Isn't this the son of Mary and Joseph? In other words, they took what Jesus said about himself being sent from heaven, and they judged it against the thinking that they had about who he was. They turned into wayside people. They're saying what Jesus said can't be true because of what we know. We know his parents. Well, did they? They thought they did. They knew who he grew up with. But did they know his parents, really? And so Jesus said, uh, um, well, what are we going to start? I want to take the whole thing here. Notice it says, um, well, he goes further and says, except verse 53, Verily I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, folks, drinking blood of any type, was contrary to the law of Moses. And so it's interesting to me that Jesus found that these people, the Jews, the religious leaders, he's not talking to the crowds at this point. He's talking to the religious leaders in the synagogue. He takes this and knows that he's hitting them right between the eyes. They don't believe that I'm sent from heaven, even though they've seen the miracles, even though they've seen the blind eyes open and so forth. They don't believe, even though they've seen the miracles, even though they saw me multiply the loaves and the fishes. They refuse to believe. And so now instead of trying to salve their conscience or try to explain to them or try to say it in some palatable way, he hits them right between the eyes. He says, you think that was tough to believe? Wait till you hear this. Except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Well, that sends them over to the edge. They says, What? That's so contrary to the law of Moses, that's impossible. Why? Because of what they think. Now, what are they faced with? They're faced with the same situation, the same opportunity that you and I are. You've got the Word of God, and you've got your thinking and circumstances. Same exact situation that all of us face every day. You've got God's Word saying one thing, you've got your own thinking or your own circumstances saying something else. You've got God's Word saying that God will meet your needs, and you've got your bank book saying you're under water. Which one's true? They can't both be true. They may both be facts. But they can't both be true. How can we reconcile this? This is what they're faced with. You've got God's word, which is true because God said so. And you've got your circumstances, which contradict everything that God's word is saying. What are we supposed to do? Jesus does not let up on these people when they're faced with that circumstance. He does not let up. He does not say, now, now listen, I know this is tough. I just want you to understand, I'm going to go to the cross and then we're going to have a ritual that's going to be like the Passover. You're going to have my you're the bread that's going to represent my body and then the, the cup and it's going to represent my blood. Don't let this bother you. He doesn't do that. He gives them the opportunity to be offended. Please understand that. It's not just the devil that gives you opportunities to be offended. The God's word always gives you opportunity to be offended. Always. Yeah, but wait a minute, Pastor Mike. The Bible said God doesn't test us. No, it doesn't say that. It says God doesn't test you with evil. God tests you every day of your life. The Word of God is a test every day of your life. Are you going to believe what you see and feel? 
or are you going to believe what the Bible says is true? That's a test. Tithing is a test. Are you going to do what you think is best to do with your money, or are you going to obey what the Bible says to do with it? It's a test. It's the same test as Abraham taking Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice. It's a test. God just doesn't use evil. God doesn't use sickness to test you. He doesn't use poverty to test you. He doesn't use anything except one thing, and that is his word. And that is a continuous test. Now, folks, let me, let me encourage you on something. It's just like with school. You learn how to pass the test early. It's the same test over and over and over again. Pass it young. Then it's easier when you get old. Because it becomes second nature. You become accustomed to it. It's not a hard thing anymore. You realize the benefits thereof. But that's what Jesus does. He said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And then he explains that he's the bread of life. He explains some of those other things. Then it says, um, uh, after he comes out of the synagogue, verse 60, many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard it, now these are Gentiles mostly, the Gentiles couldn't go into the synagogue, so they come outside and now the, the word starts spreading. Man, you should have heard what he said inside. He said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any part of me. He said, what? Well, that can't be right. Gentiles are thinking, well, we don't know anything about the law of Moses and could care less, but who wants to eat his flesh and drink his blood? That sounds gross. Maybe this is a cult after all. Now, folks, is Jesus telling them the truth? Is their lack of understanding of the truth change it from being the truth? And that is the issue with the word of God forever. It is true. Whether you understand it or not, it is true. Whether you ever realize it in your life or not, it is true. I get so frustrated with people that, that somebody, dear saint of God will die of sickness and they'll say, well, when we get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why he let this happen. Okay, can I watch that? I want to stand off to the side and watch that. I want you to ask God, why did you let this happen? Okay, your word says healing belongs to us, but why did you let this happen? Seriously? The word's true, folks. If I die of sickness, the word of God is still true concerning healing. If I preach healing all my life and die sick, the word of God is still true concerning healing. Don't follow my pattern, but follow my preaching. Because the word is true. So the disciples, or not the disciples, the multitude, they say, he said, what? This is a hard saying. Who can hear this? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, his disciples, his followers murmured at this. He said unto them, does this offend you? Does this offend you? <laughs> okay, understand about the religious leaders, but are you offended by this too? Now notice the next thing he says, what and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before. You know what that means? That's Jesus saying, you know, the time is coming where you're going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what I'm telling you is true. What are you going to think then? Now, why do, are they considering or dealing with the opportunity to be offended? Because they're thinking that what he said doesn't make sense. They're thinking that what he said can't be true because of what they think. They're judging the truth of Jesus' words by their own thoughts. 
And people do that every day. We can read scripture and people sit back and they'll say, well, I just don't see it that way. Well, bless your darling heart. You don't see it that way. So the Bible must not be true. Seriously? And that's what we're saying. We're making our, our minds God. We're making our thoughts, which by and large the devil put in there, God for us. We're saying, well, the Bible may say this, but. And that's the offense. That's the area where the offense occurs. He said, what are you, you going to be offended by this too? Skip over a little bit and it said, uh, verse 64. Jesus said there, well, better read verse 63. No reason to skip that. He said, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit in their life. Now, the flesh he's talking about is their wrong thinking. The flesh that he's talking about is the reasoning that contradicts the word. He said that profits nothing. That, you'll never get ahead with that. He's trying to help you out here, folks. He's saying you thinking your wrong thoughts that the world thinks will never help you. But the words that I speak unto you, they're spirit in their life. They'll bring life. They'll bring blessings. They'll bring the things of God into reality in your life. Verse 64, but there was, there are some of you that believe not. He knew even among his own circle that not everybody was going to accept what he said. Judas is a great example. From, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed him and who should betray him. And then he said, and he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given to him of my father. Now please notice that phrase, given him of my father. What does that mean? Given him of my father means you accept the truth of the word no matter what you think. That's what it means to either come to Jesus. It means that's what it means to be drawn to the Father. That's what it means to be given by the Father. You accepting the truth of the word instead of whatever you think things to be. You taking your thoughts and say, well, I don't understand this, but he said it. Therefore, it's got to be true. That's what it means to come to Jesus. That's what it means to be drawn of the Father. That's what it means to be given by God unto Jesus. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Notice what offenses do. Offenses separate you from Jesus. Now, not in relationship. If we're talking Christians, it doesn't mean you go, you become unsaved. But it separates you from fellowship. You know, there's a verse of scripture in, uh, in Proverbs chapter 18. Let me read this to you. Proverbs chapter 18, a lot of the Proverbs are, um, uh, well, they're like coins. They've got two sides. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, uh, says in the King James something to the effect that uh, through, uh, through desire a man separates himself and intermeddles with all wisdom. Now, the, the positive side of that is pretty easy to see. It means that it's only through a man's heart desire that he's going to separate himself from the things of the world and therefore seek out the wisdom of God, which is the word. In other words, it's this desire that causes you to choose to renew your mind to the word. It's an inward hunger. It's a, a spiritual hunger or a spiritual thirst. It's something that comes from the inside that, that in a positive way causes you to, to seek out and join yourself to the wisdom of God. But there's a negative side to this too. Let me read this to you from some other translations, or at least I'll pick one anyway. Um, 
Oh, here's one. The American Standard Version says it this way. And this is an accurate translation. The, the translators, any given time the translators had to choose, do we, do we interpret this positively or negatively on some of the, the Proverbs? So here's what it says in the American Standard. He that separates himself seeketh his own desire and rages against all sound wisdom. You know what that means? That means when somebody's offended, they separate themselves. And no matter what sound wisdom you can give them, no matter what scripture you can show them, unless they choose to release that offense, they are going to argue against everything and everybody. You'll find that people that get offended take this persecution complex. Remember the story of Cain and Abel? It's a, it's a real interesting story uh, if you look at it from this context. Uh, Cain and Abel both brought sacrifices under the Lord. The sacrifice that was required by God was an animal sacrifice. Abel was a, a farm or was a, a, a rancher. He was a shepherd, and so he brought a lamb. His sacrifice was accepted. Cain was a farmer, and so he brought his sacrifice that was the fruit of the field and the crops and stuff like this. And, and because there's no blood to offer as a sacrifice, it was not accepted. Well, Cain was really upset about it. And God spoke to him and he said, what are you upset about? If you do the right thing, you'll be accepted. And if you won't, you won't. If you don't do the right thing, then you won't be accepted. What are you upset about? Well, Cain then killed his brother. Now, here's what happens when people get offended. Cain's greatest fear, what he was guarding against, was being rejected rejected by God. Well, what did he do? He did something that was a lot harder than Abel did. Abel just brought something that was born of a sheep. Now, certainly there's work to take care of the sheep, and it was uh, to the sheep, the sheep, and, uh, and, and, and he, he cared for it, and he was a good shepherd and stuff like that, and so it was something that was precious to him, but he didn't give birth to the sheep, to the lamb. He didn't do the work. What did Cain do? Cain had to clear the field of rocks and stumps and all that stuff. He had to plow the field. He had to plant the crops. He had to tend the crops. He had to water the crops. It took Cain a lot more effort to bring his sacrifice than it did Abel to bring the one that he brought. So it had nothing to do with works. It had nothing to do with with natural manual effort. It had everything to do with what was required, and what was required was blood. So Cain, because he got offended, what happened? He was rejected of God. His sacrifice was rejected. It's what he was trying to avoid to begin with. But now he's rejected of God and God's given him a chance. He's saying, go get your lamb. All you've got to do is the right thing just like your brother did. And so Cain, because of his offense, he turned around and killed his brother. Literally, he sacrificed his brother on the altar instead of a lamb. He said, you want blood? Okay, I'll give you blood. And then God calls him on it. He says, where's your brother? He said, I'm not brother's keeper. What are you asking me for? God knew what had happened. Cain knew what had happened. And God said, your brother's blood cries up to, from the ground. And God said to, uh, to Cain, matter of fact, let me, let me read this to you. It's from Genesis chapter 4. This is a, a real interesting, well, to me anyway. I think it's got some significance for us. Genesis chapter 4. I'm getting there. I'll start in verse 10. And he said, here's God speaking to, to Cain after he asked him, my, my brother's keeper. And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive the brother's blood from thy hand. When you till the ground, here's the result of your actions because you got offended. 
When you till the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. In other words, your good farming days are over. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. Now, the word vagabond means traveler. Folks, you've got a lot of spiritual vagabonds because they've been offended, and the way that they've responded to that offense has caused them to, re, to, um, to I don't want to say reject, it's caused them to forfeit the blessings of God in their life. So what does Cain do? Notice what Cain does. God says you'll be a fugitive and a vagabond. Cain says unto the Lord, verse 13, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. Just like you said, but notice what he adds. He said, And it shall come to pass that everyone that finds me shall slay me. Folks, people that are persecuted or people that are offended get this persecution complex. They become victims, and they stay victims forever until they release that offense. That's what Psalm, uh, Proverbs 18.1 is talking about. Let me read it to you again from the American Standard. He that separates himself seeks his own desire. Well, what's that own desire? Their offense. The only reason anybody can, holds on to an offense is because they want to. He that separates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all sound wisdom. That's why we read, uh, maybe it was last Sunday, We read where Paul told Timothy that the servant of God must be gentle, able to teach, and in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God will by perchance give them what they need to recover themselves from the snare of the devil. The only way you can be recovered from the snare of the devil, which is offense, is for you to choose to be released. God can't release you. Other people can't release you. They can tell you the truth. They can teach you the word. They can show you what the Bible says. But only if you choose and decide to let go of the offense will that offense ever be dealt with. That's why it's the devil's trap. And he's got so many people trapped. So many people's trapped. God answers Cain and says, I'll put a mark on you so that anybody that does something to you will have to answer to me for it. That mark that so many people carry through their lives in this persecution thing, everybody's against me, is offense. I, um, most of you know, the uh, at least some of the times you've heard me say things about the time that I spent with Brother Hagen, working with him in the Crusade Department, and and um, the just the opportunity I had to learn from him. It was the greatest opportunity to learn about the things of God that I've ever had. Brother Hagen taught me to know God, literally. I was already saved, had been saved a long time before I went there. I went to school in Tulsa, but he taught me how to know God for myself. And um, I, what greater thing can you learn? In, in my opinion, there is nothing more. But the time that I worked there, the, about the last uh, year when I was there, um, there was somebody there that was on staff at the ministry that, um, for whatever reason, they, I was told, I, I don't know this firsthand, but I was told that they wanted to take my place on the crusade team. And so this person that had another staff position, uh, started telling people that were over me there at the ministry lies about things that I'd said and things that I was trying to do. And, um, 
Stuff like that's not supposed to happen in the ministry. I mean, we all love God, right? If it weren't for those nasty Christians, then things would work out the way they're supposed to, wouldn't they? But Christians are human. They have jealousies. They have envy and, and different things like that, just like everybody else does. Well, things started changing for me there at the ministry. Brother Hagin quit traveling. There was a, a period of time uh, during that uh, uh, during that year that uh, that that he tried to do some different things or different ways. And so he wasn't traveling very much anyway. But um, they started shifting my job. They took me out of crusades and put me in, a, in another position. And I said, well, okay, if that's, if that's where I can help you better, then okay. I already knew Dad wasn't going to be traveling much, so that helped soften the blow a little bit. And uh, still had an opportunity to be around him. Still was going over to his house and different things like that. So still had a relationship. So I'm, I'm fine, you know, not... Jumping up and down happy, but okay, whatever you say. But then they gave me a job, and the job basically is don't do anything. And so I, I thought, for a little while, I thought, well, okay, they must have something in mind that they're waiting to come around. And then I realized they didn't have anything in mind. They put me in an office uh, that's right next to the bathroom. And the walls were so thin, I could tell everybody their bathroom experience, <laughs> if you understand what I mean. And, uh, and it was, it was just terrible. And I, I didn't know this going in, but I found out that's the place that they put you just before they kicked you out the door. As I could well understand. <laughs> uh, and so I couldn't figure out what was going on and I started getting frustrated. You ever been frustrated on the job? What do you do? You want to tell everybody off, but how is that going to help? I mean, unless you're telling them off on your way out the door, what good is that going to do? Because it's going to get you kicked out of the out of the thing. So I'm I'm praying. I'm doing everything I can to to try to find out. I'm waiting week after week after week. I'm waiting to find out. Okay, what is it they want me to do? And the person they put in charge of me, I asked them. They said, "What do you want me to do?" And he said, "I don't know." They told me you're under me. I don't know what you're supposed to do. Well, how do I find out? Who do I ask? He said, "Well, I guess you asked me." I said, "That's why I'm asking you." I said, "Will you ask somebody?" He said, "No, I'm not going to say anything about it." And so I was dead in the water. I mean, I was just stuck. Nowhere out. Uh, looking back, I, I can see what they were trying to do is they were trying to frustrate me to the point where I just quit. But I knew that I was supposed to be there. I knew God sent me there. I knew my work wasn't done. I knew that the time would come when I would be done, but it wasn't there yet. And so I'm, I'm, I'm praying. What do I do? I'm thinking, all right, well, I don't have anything else to do. I taught myself to type. That was helpful. But I'm doing stuff. I'm studying. I'm reading. I'm praying. I'm doing whatever. I don't have anything to do. Brother Hagin would come by my office every now and then and say, what are you doing? I said, I have no idea. He said, what do you mean? I said, nobody's giving me anything to do. He said, oh, I'll check on it. Well, he didn't. He didn't want to get involved. Or if he did, he didn't like what he heard. And so, and so it was, it was uh, something he didn't, didn't take part in. And so I'm getting more and more and more frustrated. And all the time, what I didn't know was all the time behind the scenes, this guy is starting to chip away and start to tell more and more stories and, and lies about me and different things like that. And then when I found out what was going on, I hit the roof. My first thought is, bless God, we'll see how this thing turns out. I'll go to Brother Haken and I'll let them know exactly what's happening. And the Lord told me, don't you dare. Are you kidding me? I've got this relationship with Brother Hagen, and I'm not supposed to use it? Seriously? You gave me this relationship. This has got to be why. Talking to the Lord. 
Well, come to find out, what I didn't know at the time, come to find out that Brother Hagen had not been the one to be told the stories, but they were told other people, and then those other people told him, and he winds up thinking that what he's heard is true about me. Poor little old me. Never hurt anybody in my life. Just love God, just serving God. Never done anything wrong. I'm sitting there having the biggest pity party you could imagine. Every day. I'm sure I'm making life miserable for Beth at home because she knows what's going on. She's What's she supposed to do, you know? She's working there too. She can't really say anything about it. Well, here's what happened. Brother Hagen went to a friend of ours and uh, and said, uh, I, I need you to, to help me pray about something. And this person said, okay, what do you need me to pray about? He said, well, it's about Mike. Well, she knew the situation because she was a good friend of Beth, had worked with Beth, and they worked in the same department. She knew everything that was going on. She knew everything that we knew, and she knew things from the other side. And so she said, Dad, there's nothing to pray about. Here's what's happening. So she told him the story. Well, I found out about that, and I thought, hallelujah, Dad's going to come in there, and he's going to save the day. He's going to get rid of these lousy people, and he's going to get me back to where I'm supposed to be, and it's going to be just right. And you know what happened? Nothing. I guess Dad, I, I didn't never have talked to him about it. Before he went home to be with the Lord, I never talked to him about it. I don't know, but I assume, knowing his personality, that he was looked at it like, this is a fight that I don't want to start in the ministry. It'll ruin things and mess things up between a lot of different people. People start start taking sides. I just don't want to do anything about it. So he didn't do anything about it. Well, now I'm even more hurt than I ever was. Because before, I could tell myself, Dad didn't know. Now he knows. So what am I supposed to do now? So I started praying. I said, Lord, I, I just, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to be here for another year. But I don't know what to do. It's not right for me to take a paycheck from these people. I'm doing nothing. I'm producing nothing for them whatsoever. It's not right for me to take their money. But they won't fire me because then it'll make them look like they're, you know, the ones initiating it. I know they're waiting for me to quit. What do I do? I agonized over this. Man, I agonized over this. What do I do? Finally, the Lord spoke to me and he said, Mike, I'll bless you if you go and I'll bless you if you stay. I'd really kind of like some direction, Lord, you know, tell me one way or the other, you know. But that's what he said. I'll bless you if you go and I'll bless you if you stay. Well, for me, that really kind of answered the question. Within a short period of time, I said, look, it's dishonest for me to take their money. They know I'm not doing anything and I know I'm not doing anything. Why should they waste money on me? So I I, I turned to my notice. I told him I was going to go. Now, here's uh, here's what happened. Just very, very soon after I decided to go, there was somebody that came to my office that had been present when some of the original stories had been told. And he said, Mike, I know what's going on. He said, I, I'm, I, I was there. I heard what was said by the individual telling the lies to the people that are over me in authority there at the ministry. He said, I heard the whole thing. He said, if you want, I'll go with you to the people that are involved. And he said, I'll, I'll be a, a witness for you about what happened. Well, whether you realize it or not, that could have fixed everything. I've already made the decision that I'm going to go. As a matter of fact, I'd already turned in my notice. But now I get an opportunity. I can expose this guy for everything that he's done. Guess which way I wanted to go? I wanted to slice and dice this guy. 
And I prayed about it. Actually, I was praying about, Lord, when's the best time to go? But I knew that I wasn't supposed to do this. I knew I wasn't supposed to do it. And now I'm mad at God. Wait a minute, I could clear my name. I could fix everything about this situation. I've got a witness. I could make this thing right. I could show everybody for who they are, and and I could come out smelling like a rose in this thing. But I knew I wasn't supposed to do it. You know what's an amazing thing to me? It's amazing to me how many people think it's their job to expose somebody else's sin. Tell me anybody God gives that job to. Anybody. Show me any example where God gave that job to somebody else. I heard one of Brother Hagin's stories ringing in my ear all the time that I'm upset and mad and wanting to do something about it and, and know that I shouldn't. God didn't tell me I can't. I can. I have the perfect opportunity. And folks, please understand, it's not the devil that brought this other guy into my office and said, I'm the witness. It's God that gave me the opportunity. Just like God gave David the opportunity to kill Saul when Saul was persecuting, he wouldn't do it. Twice he refused to do it. He said, I'm not going to be the one to kill the Lord's anointed. Well, Saul sure wasn't, King Saul sure wasn't acting like the Lord's anointed at the time, was he? He had just previously killed 85 priests, innocent people, who thought David had come to their city, not as a fugitive, but on the king's mission. And they had been kind to him. They'd given him provisions. Saul killed the 85 priests and all the women and children and other men in the city. Wiped a city out. Now get this. Saul would not kill the Amalekites when God told him to. He kept the king and some of the the animals alive. But when it came to the innocent people that helped David, Saul's enemy, he wiped them out. David was justified. Would have been justified to do anything he wanted to do in it. He's the one that God anointed to be king after Saul. He's the one that's being persecuted. If he doesn't kill Saul, Saul's going to kill him. Saul has killed these innocent people. There's a lot of reasons that David could have given to justify taking Saul's life, but he wouldn't do it. Twice he had opportunities and wouldn't do it. I remember when I was frustrated about this situation, I remember hearing uh, a replay in my mind, Brother Hagin telling the story of when he was on the road and people wouldn't take care of him. He said he went to one church and they didn't, uh, he stayed at the parsonage, but they were never there. Nobody fixed him any food. There wasn't any food. In the, uh, well, there was one egg and one hot dog in there, and they ate the hot dog and fixed the egg, and that was it. That was all they had for three days. And he said he got so frustrated and so mad, this guy was part of the same denomination as him. He said he picked up the phone to call the, the people in charge of the organization and tell them what kind of person they've got out here and stuff. He said every time the Lord checked him on the inside, and he put it down, put the phone down. He said this, and I, these are the words that I've heard ringing in my ears ever since. He said a guy like that is going to make his own trouble. I'm not going to be the one to add to it. So I let it go. I didn't like it, but I let it go. Left the ministry, and I left, and everybody except just a handful of people thought that I left because I had been the one to create the problems, and now God has finally gotten rid of me. Not quite the way you wanted to leave in other people's minds. But you know how I left? Look with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Or, yeah, 55. 
Let me show you how you should leave and, and change from one place in your life to another. Isaiah 55. It says, for you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. How many people do you know that change, whether it be churches or jobs or whatever, and that's the way they go rather than being offended? Most people I know of change churches because they didn't like something that happened at their last church. And folks, hurt people hurt people. People that have been hurt hurt other people because they've got to tell other people about what happened to them. They've got to share their pain with other people, and it creates an offense in the other people's lives now too. It's something that spreads. But this is the way that you ought to leave things. You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. I had the peace of God when I left. I had no idea what I was going to do. We, we went out on the road, but nobody wanted us. How are we going to live? Had no assurance of anything. Not only am I leaving my job, Beth quit and left her job too. So now we've got two incomes gone. How are we going to make it? If God's not in it, we're sunk. But God saw us through. We didn't have much extra. <laughs> Boy, we didn't have much extra. Some months we would just barely make it. But we made it. But I had such a peace. I had such a peace, I just knew that I was doing something that God would bless. Even though I knew it wasn't God's best. Now, please get this. I knew God's best was for me to stay there and finish out the assignment that I had been given with Brother Hagin. But somebody else had detoured that. And rather than fight this thing and try to make it work and, and struggle over the thing, I chose to leave, and I had such a peace. I remember, um, um, well, they had a Wednesday night service there at the ministry and Beth and I went to that service and, and, uh, the guy that was uh, emceeing the service that night, uh, he didn't know anything about much of what was going on or anything. He said, well, there's, there's Mike Webb. Mike, come up here. Give us a, just a quick testimony. You're leaving the ministry. We, I just heard that you turned in your notice. You're going to be going out on the road. Come up here and give us a quick testimony. Well, I thought, oh dear God. <laughs> Now's my chance to tell them all what I think. And so you got some of the very people that are, that are thinking the wrong things sitting in that, that auditorium. And, and I could see that some of the people were cringing when I'm walking up on the platform. Oh no, what's going to happen now? Cause the guy I'm seeing, he didn't know. He's just a good guy. He just loved God. You know, kind of one of those people that's just happy and dumb all the time. <laughs> Great guy. So I took the microphone and I just started talking about how happy I was. I had no idea what I was going to say. I still don't remember a lot of what I said. But afterwards, it was uh, I remember the guy said, Wow, I've never seen you this happy. And I said, Yeah, I know. I said, It's an amazing thing. He said, I didn't know what kind of pressure I was under until I got out from under it. He said, But I, I told him, I said, But I've got such a peace about it. I have no idea what we're going to do. I have no idea how we're going to make it. But we're just trusting God. Couldn't be happier. And, and honest to goodness, my testimony lifted the service. Which was the biggest surprise of the night for me. What, what, what I was facing could have been a real, real difficult situation. And it just, it just kind of everybody in the place just went. (sighs) 
Let me close with this. I know I'm out of time. Let me close with this. You remember in Hebrews chapter 5? I'm going to read a scripture to you here. Turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 5 tells us something about Jesus. It says in verse 8, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, Though he, speaking of Jesus, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things or through the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that call or obey him. Can I ask you a question? What did Jesus have to learn? What in the world did Jesus have to learn? Two words are used in the New Testament for sons. They're both in Romans chapter 8. You remember the scriptures in Romans 8, uh, 14, where it says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 16, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. These words, sons and children, are two, two different words. They're used throughout the New Testament to speak of children in some form or another, but they're two different words. The first word, son, means son by birth. The second word, son is usually translated as a more mature son or a grown-up son. But it, it has a much greater meaning than that. It means this. When you have your kids, they are yours, they are your children, because they're your DNA. They're, bought in, they're, uh, they're brought into this world, born into your family. But the second word for son, the word that's usually used as a mature son, means a son that displays the character and the nature of his father. Now, if we go to the nursery, if somebody has a new baby and we go to the nursery, we don't know who's who unless they've got the, the cribs labeled. You can't tell the Jones kid from the from the Webb kid from the anybody else's kid. Babies all look the same. And they're not all the same, but they all look the same. But you start growing up, kids start growing up, you can tell who's whose son by the way they live their lives. They become like their fathers. At least they're intended to. That's what God's intent is. They become like their fathers. That's what this means in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the ones that display the character and the nature of their father. Children of God learn to be led by the Spirit. As we mature and display the character and the nature of God, we learn to display the character as we, we learn to be led by the Spirit. Well, where is he going to lead us? He's going to lead us into peace. He's always going to lead us into peace. Did you find First Peter chapter 4? With that in mind, what did Jesus have to learn? He's already displaying the character and the nature of his Father. What did he have to learn? He had to learn obedience. How did he learn obedience? Through the things that he suffered in the flesh. Through the persecution, through the hard places. These are things that he learned before he ever got to the cross, because if he hadn't been obedient, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. He learned through his lifetime, lifetime, his 33 years of life here on the earth, and his three years of ministry, he learned obedience. How did he learn it? Through the things that he suffered. Folks, suffering is not about suffering sickness. It's not about suffering disease. It's not about suffering poverty. It's not about suffering any of those things. It's about suffering circumstances of life to find out who God is and who you are. And that's something that is profitable for your spiritual development. That's the hardest thing for faith people to get. They think faith means everything's going to work out great. We'll always go higher and higher. Everything's going to be a step up. There'll never be a step back. There'll never be a hard place. It'll always be good. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. And then trouble comes and they fall flat on their face. And don't understand why is this happening to me? I'm confessing the word. Guess why it's happening to you? Because you're confessing the word. 
And it's important for you to have these places. That's why James says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse troubles. Because it's through that suffering of circumstances and suffering through things in this life. That's how we learn to be obedient when things are good and learn to be obedient when things don't look good. And you can't grow and develop spiritually unless you can be the same in every circumstance. That's what spiritual maturity really is. Not moved whether things look good or whether things look bad. God's the same either way. Find First Peter 4 yet? Notice what Peter said. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. What same mind? Well, remember Jesus was able to lay aside his heavenly power and glory and count himself equal with God. In other words, that he had all the, the resources of heaven at his disposal. He said, arm yourself with the same mind. The same mind of what? The same mind about suffering. The same mind about how to handle hard places in life. Why? Because that's how Jesus learned to be obedient, through the things that he suffered. How are we going to learn to be obedient? Through the things that we suffer. Again, we're not talking sickness or disease. That's not from God. We're talking about the circumstances of life. We're talking about the stuff that the devil brings against you to try to distract you from the truth of the word. That suffering is profitable for spiritual development. So he said, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. He that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You don't know how to overcome sin in your life? One of the ways to suffer in the flesh is to deal with offenses by holding fast to the word and walking in love. That's what David did. David refused to kill Saul even when he had two opportunities. In fact, when Saul finally died, somebody came to him and bragged that I was the one that killed him. And instead of David saying, boy, I'm glad you took care of that problem for me, David had him killed. He said, how is it that you were willing to kill the Lord's anointed? And he had him killed. And instead of pronouncing a curse upon Saul's family because of the way that Saul had mistreated him, he sought him out. He gave them an inheritance, and he provided for them all the days of their lives, even though they ran from him thinking that he would harm them. That's how we're supposed to suffer in the flesh. We're supposed to respond to offenses. We're supposed to respond to the things that people do against us with the love of God. Love pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It takes no account of the evil done unto it. That's why love covers a multitude of sins, folks. What that literally means is love passes up opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be offended. Love refuses to be ensnared with the devil's trap. Would you bow your heads, please? I know in my heart that God had me teach these things for two reasons. One is there's things that he's dealing with me about. And the second is because there are people in, in this congregation, there are people in this church that have been offended. There are people that are being held back. You're praying, you're believing God, you're doing everything that the Bible says to do, but you're being held back from receiving the blessings of God because you've been offended, because you won't let go of those offenses. Is that you? You may be justified in your offense. 
but it doesn't change the fact that you're still entrapped. You may have every right, every reason to feel the way that you do, to feel hurt and to hold it against somebody else because of what they did, but it doesn't change the fact that you're trapped. There's only one way out of that trap, and that is for you to recover yourself. God can't recover you. I can't say a prayer and all of a sudden things change. The only thing that can make the difference is you recovering yourself. Now, folks, if I'm talking to you, and I don't know if I am or not, I don't know if it's you specifically, but I know that there are people that are hearing this teaching that God's doing everything he can to try to get the blessings of God that you desire to you. But this is a necessary part. You're going to have to choose to release the offense. You're going to have to choose that it's not worth sacrificing the peace of God to hold on to your hurt. This is between you and him, folks. I wish I could lay hands on you and the power of God would do something to make things right for you, but that's not how this works. What it means is you're going to have to decide, I choose to not be offended any longer. Not because my feelings have changed, they haven't. But because the Bible says this is what I need to do. It's more important to me to serve God and to put his word first in my life than it is to hold on to my hurt. Now, if you do that, what's going to happen? Are your feelings going to change overnight? No. You're going to have to remind yourself tomorrow, just like you make the decision today. I refuse to be offended any longer. But you do that and you start praying for the people that have done you wrong. And that can be a tough thing too. been there, done that. But you start praying for the people that did you wrong. And your feelings will change. Maybe little by little, but they'll change. And you'll find a peace, flood your life like you haven't known in a long time, ever since you took the offense. Now, the devil will be right there. He'll try to come back in periodically, remind you, try to stir up those old thoughts and those old feelings. But you keep reminding him, no, I decided to release myself from the snare of the devil. I chose to release that offense. You do that, folks. And it'll make a huge, huge difference in your spiritual development. It'll make a huge difference in the the, the openness and the freedom you have with the Lord. It'll make a huge difference in the blessings of God that you receive in your life. All because you put the word first. You chose to put away the wrong thinking. The feelings. That kept you from acting on the word. And instead. To be a doer of the word. Great peace.
great peace belongs to those who love the law of God. And nothing shall offend them. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, you see these hearts. You know where people are at. I know that these are people that care about your word. I know these are people that live their lives to put your word first. But any and all of us can slip up and stumble. Fall into the devil's trap of offenses. We choose right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, to release those offenses. We choose to release those that have done us wrong. So that we no longer claim the right to exact vengeance on them. You deal with them, Father, according to how you see fit. It's out of our hands from this point forward. We choose to forgive. We choose to overlook that which was done in the name of Jesus. Satan, we remove ourselves from your trap. Because we are lovers of God's word. We are doers of God's word. And we claim the great peace that belongs to us, therefore. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Would you stand together with us, please? Folks, I can tell you something from first-hand experience. There's nothing like being free. There's just nothing like being free. There's nothing that's worth trading freedom for. And when I'm talking to freedom, I'm talking about the peace of God. I trust that you walk in that peace from this day forward every day of your life. And never let anything take you out of that peace. And if you step one inch out of that peace, stop yourself right there and get back over in it. Because God's got great things for you. And those great things are determined in great part to the degree that we walk in the love of God. We all look for power, but it's love that God's wanting us to display. He'll take care of the power part. Let's be that kind of people. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Have a great day. Come back and be with us tonight if you can. You're dismissed.